Welcome to the Key Wealth Matters podcast, a series of candid conversations with leading experts about how individuals and organizations can grow and protect their finances, tailored around current events and trends. Here's your host, Tracy Collins. Welcome to the Key Wealth Matters podcast entitled Cybersecurity for Nonprofits, What You Need to Know to Protect Your Data. Today's discussion will focus on providing an understanding of cybersecurity and what you can do to protect both donor and organizational information. Addressing this important and timely topic is Tammy Gadetsis. Tammy is a Senior Information Security Manager with KeyBank, and she's been with KeyBank for almost 25 years. In her current role, she focuses on cybersecurity and education awareness, not only for Key's employees, but also for consumer and business clients. Welcome, Tammy. Thank you so much for having me today. It's a pleasure to have you, and I know this is going to be an interesting subject for everyone, so let's jump right in. Cybersecurity. Let's start with the most basic element of the topic. What exactly is cybersecurity? I mean, what's a good definition of it, and who really needs to know about it? Well, yeah, to jump right in, honestly, everyone needs to know about it. If we think about the way all of our lives are, both personally and professionally, our lives are so digital, right? Everything from how we do our banking to shopping, especially post right the COVID pandemic, where we really changed the way that we do things and we're more digital than ever. So at the very basic element of it, cybersecurity is really how you're protecting against cyber attacks. And really in that practical sense, it's really the combination of, you know, the different technologies that we're using, whether it's your phone, whether it's your computer, and how you're interacting to protect basically your data and ultimately your finances. So financially, all the funds in your accounts or your business accounts. Well, I think we've all heard of cyber attacks. So can you give us an idea of what someone might be trying to accomplish when initiating these attacks? Yeah, it it falls down to some very basic things. So really what we see are when these cyber attacks are happening, it's really threat actors that are trying to gain access to information or data or funds. So they're trying to get into your accounts, get access to money, or they're trying to get access to data or information, anything from personally identifiable information to potentially company secrets and and how you're, you know, what assets your company has. Well, I mean, that's pretty concerning. I mean, so whether you're a business or individual, the thought of someone, you know, poking around in your computer or your computer files or anything like that is pretty scary. So, So what are some of the more prevalent types of attacks that you're seeing now that are targeting businesses? And I guess my next question would be, how obvious are they? I mean, would, I, would you know right away if you're under attack or would I be able to identify if I'm under attack? Talk a little bit about that. Yeah, those are great questions. So really some of the basic attacks that we're seeing right now that are most prevalent, there's three that that I'll talk about. And I think these are the three that we see that are most common and they actually interact with each other, which is scary to think about. So one of the first ones is really something that we call social engineering and it could have a couple different aspects to it. So social engineering really is the art of manipulation. So they're using different trust factors to try to get you to do something. So when we think about social engineering, most commonly you'll hear phishing. Um, There's also smishing and bishing, Um, but phishing is really where you would get an email from someone that's pretending to be someone else 
And what they're trying to do is within that email, there could be links or attachments that could have malware or bad software that are within them. Oftentimes within these emails, they have some type of sense of urgency. They're trying to really trigger human emotions to get you to do something. So they're trying to have you click on that link. You need to do something immediately or something bad might happen. Um, if I think back to COVID, we saw, you know, this running rampant um, because they're using that time of turmoil along with human emotion, right? We were all very emotional during that time. There was that sense of unease and they use that against us in order to gain access to things, um, things like romance scams where they would um, prey on people because they were isolated and alone. So within those different, so they could be sending you an email, you could be getting a SMS or a text message on your phone, or even somebody could be calling you. And again, they're trying to get you to click on those links, provide information over email, or also open up some type of attachment that would then put malware on your computer and then get, you know, then they would be able to gain access into your file. So all it really takes is one click from someone um, not recognizing the signs within those phishing emails. Um, to further go into that, a very specific type of phishing email attack is something called business email compromise. And we've seen this a lot lately. And this, and you could hear it also called BEC, um, sometimes in, in short, so in case you hear that in the news as well. And it really targets businesses of all sizes, from the smallest mom and pop up to the largest of corporations. And what they do is they use that trust factor, as I mentioned, and oftentimes what they're doing is imitating vendor emails that you could be working with. And they either they compromise the vendor's email or they're sending you something like false invoices, asking you to change payment information. And what you wanna look for in those business email compromises is again, it's usually they're after funds. So they're trying to get you to change information to send them a wire or an ACH. It could be the smallest thing, um, as, meaning they could be spoofing an email account. There could be slight misspellings of the vendor name. Um, if you hover over links, you'll see that, hey, it's saying that it's going to key.com, but then you hover over it and it's sending you to somewhere totally different. Um, and again, it's using that established trust in that brand or vendor name to try to lure you into believing that it is in fact coming from that vendor or that company. We've seen, um, you know, different phishing emails that are even, you know, different government agencies like the IRS and, and unemployment emails that are coming through where they're trying to get that, get you to then click on it or provide information. The third big attack type that we've been seeing is ransomware. And this is where once they gain access into your systems, they basically compromise your system and then they lock your data or encrypt your files so that you don't have access to any of your information. And then they demand some type of payment to get your files or data unlocked. And really the breach within your system could have happened days, weeks, or even months ahead of time. Oftentimes, again, through a phishing link where they gain access to it. And then they're searching around within your systems to find the data that's most valuable that they want to lock in hopes that you'll pay that ransom to get it back open. So these attacks could be very in sophistication, 
some of them are easier to spot than others in those instances of kind of the phishing email. Some of the questions I would have you ask yourself is really trust your gut, or sometimes I say trust your spidey senses. Do you feel them tingling? Does the request not make sense? Do you notice a sense of urgency? Are they asking you to act quickly, not wanting you to have time to think about it before you react? Um, are they asking you to do something that's outside of your normal policy? Or even are they trying to target those emotions for a quick reaction? Well, you know, we're all moving, as you said, at breakneck speed right now. And um, since we are working more remotely than ever, um, many of us are communicating more and more by email. Uh, we're rushing. So what if I make a mistake? What if I click on that link? And after I click on it, I go, oops, maybe I shouldn't have done that. What steps should I take? Yeah, if you notice that you have clicked on an email, what I would do is immediately contact your IT department. Your IT department is going to have steps. They can then take a look at the PCs to understand what has been compromised and determine you know, what those next steps should be. Also, in the case of you know, financial impact, I would also suggest reaching out to your bank to let them know if it has something to do with bank accounts. Um, letting them know that you were perhaps compromised so that they can let you know if there's further steps that they would want you to take as well. Great information. So you, know, you talked about the types of attacks. Let's talk about potential targets. And, and when I think about this from a nonprofit's point of view, um, you know, I think that there are multiple targets that a hacker might be interested in. You know, they might want donor information or employee information, which would include name, addresses, and social security numbers. They might try to break into an online giving or fundraising site where clients are providing personal information as well as potentially credit card or bank account information. So on a broad scale, how can an organization ensure that they're protected? You know, what are the measures they should take? Are we talking about a software fix? Is this a user awareness issue or is this a combination of both? It's really a combination of both. Um, it's important to do simple things like making sure that your software is up to date up to date. So that includes things like your browsers, your operating systems, really any type of software that you have on any of your computers, you need to make sure that you're constantly keeping that updated. Um, if you think about something like your browsers, right, or even on your phones, you'll see that, you know, popular brands like Apple will constantly show you when there's an update. The reason why you want to keep those patches updated is because they could find a security vulnerability and that's why they're providing an update. And those threat actors know about those vulnerabilities. So what they wanna do is take advantage of them. So one simple thing is making sure that you're keeping those updates um, happening so that you're closing any of those security vulnerabilities. Human risk as well is a real danger. Like I said, phishing is one of the biggest ways that we're seeing um, systems getting compromised. So making sure that your employees or even your volunteers if you're a nonprofit and you have volunteers that have access to your data or your systems, are aware of those dangers of social engineering and what they should be looking out for. Um, because all it takes is that one click on a malicious website and malware could be, you know, giving access to the bad guys in your systems. So I'm going to take a minute and talk about passwords versus passphrases. I think we're mm -hmm. all familiar with the term passwords, but lately we're hearing more about this concept of passphrases. Can you talk a little bit about the differences between the two and why one might be better than the other? Yeah, absolutely. So passwords are traditionally what we think about, right? And those are usually shorter, 
and oftentimes they're you know less than 15 characters and they're common dictionary words. The trouble with that is right all of us know that we have many passwords that we're using today and so when we're creating passwords we're often using things that are simple for us to remember. The problem with that is that if they're simple for us to remember, they're also simple for these threat actors to guess, or even they have software that they use that can crack passwords in a matter of seconds. And so that's why having something like a passphrase, which is longer and stronger, it's typically 15 characters or more is what would be recommended. And you're using more, um, they could still be potentially dictionary words, but it's four random words put together potentially. Or think of something like song lyrics. And one thing that I like to mention to people is that spaces are valid characters. A lot of people don't realize that. So if you're using four random words, you know, donkey, strong, peanut, you know, some other random word combination, that's going to be a lot harder for a system to guess. And actually you're looking at years versus seconds. So um, making sure that, again, you're using a passphrase versus a password, but also making sure that you're not using the same password or passphrase across sites, because oftentimes what we see is there could be a breach in a system and then those passwords and user IDs are then put on the dark web and they're purchased and it's not very expensive, unfortunately, for them to purchase those things. And then what they do is they use those credentials to then try to push them into um, different websites to see if they can find a match. So if you're using the same password on a social media site, as well as on your banking website, once they get access to one, they now potentially have access to the other one. All right, you've hit on something that's really near and dear to my heart. And you mentioned not reusing passwords or passphrases. Mm-hmm. Now I can't speak for everyone, but I know as I'm getting older, memorizing all these passwords is getting more challenging. You know, in fact, I find myself clicking on that forgot my password link um, more often than ever. And, and mm-hmm. I'm not a cybersecurity expert, but I'm guessing um, writing them all down on a piece of paper and keeping it under my mouse pad is probably not the best way to keep track of them. So what do you recommend? Yeah, no, please don't put it underneath your keyboard. (laughs) But yeah, actually, there are great tools that are available. So there's something called a password vault. And that password vault allows you to store all of your passwords or passphrases all in one place and will actually help you even create them. And so you can create that strong passphrase and not have to because that's the other thing, right? You then are like, great, I thought of a really good one. But now I need to think of 25 more. How am I going to do that? And there's actually free versions of that. Uh, Two examples would be LastPass and KeePass, but there's others out there. And there's also note sections within those where you could actually keep track of things like the answers to your security questions. And, And an expert tip here is that when you're answering things like security questions, lie about the answers because oftentimes we end up putting things on social media, like answering things like quizzes that may give away answers. So If it's asking for your mother's maiden name, don't really enter your mother's maiden name because that can be found in public records. I'm a huge Disney fan. Maybe put Baby Yoda as your mother's maiden name. Um, But, you know, putting those things out there and you could put those all in the password vault so that it's all nice and secure for you. Well, Tammy, I'm sure we could continue on this subject for much, much longer. Um, And I want to thank you for this information. 
This has been very enlightening for me and I'm sure for our listeners. In fact, I'm sure we all want to run back to our home or office and begin taking steps to protect ourselves. But can you just share a couple of steps that organizations can take right now to improve their data security? Yeah, absolutely. So one thing, educate your employees around the dangers of things like phishing and also the different things we talked about from a password policy perspective. Utilize different tools like multi-factor authentication because it's really about providing those layers of protection instead of just having that one factor such as something like a password. And those multi-factor authentications are things like one-time passcodes where it sends you that six-digit code and you could set those up in various systems. Um, Limit the access of your users to only the um, need to know. So really reducing that risk and exposure that's out there. Um, Creating some processes around things like vendor payments and having those segregation of duties. So having more than one person needed to send a payment out the door. And really, you know, in the instance of business email compromise, developing procedures around those vendor onboarding and payment instructions. So how are you going to add the payment instructions? How are those going to be changed? And then finally, having a playbook that's established in case something were to happen, do you know what processes that you need to incorporate and who are the people you need to reach out for? And there are some great free resources that some government agencies have put together. One of them is at stopransomware.gov. And there are things like ransomware response checklists and different guides that are available for you. Tammy, I want to thank you for joining us today and sharing your insight and expertise on this really important topic. And I want to thank our listeners for taking time out of their day to listen in. For those listening in, if you'd like more information about cybersecurity and data protection, we've included several attachments in the show notes for this podcast. And if you do have a specific question, there's also a URL you can use to submit your question back to the KeyBank team. And as always, if you've enjoyed today's discussion, then please be sure to check out the other podcasts in the Key Wealth Matters series. Again, thank you for listening. The Key Wealth Matters podcast is produced by the Key Wealth Institute. The Key Wealth Institute is comprised of a collection of financial professionals representing key entities, including key private bank, key bank institutional advisors, and key investment services. Any opinions, projections, or recommendations contained herein are subject to change without notice and are not intended as individual investment advice. This material is presented for informational purposes only and should not be construed as individual tax or financial advice. Bank and trust products are offered by Key Bank National Association, member FDIC, and equal housing lender. Key Bank Private Bank and Key Bank Institutional Advisors are part of Key Bank. Investment products, brokerage, and investment advisory services are offered through Key Investment Services LLC or KISS, member FINRA, SIPC, and SEC Registered Investment Advisor. Insurance products are offered through Key Corp Insurance Agency USA or KIA. KIS and KIA are affiliated with Key Bank. Investment and insurance products are not FDIC insured, not bank guaranteed, may lose value, not a deposit, not insured by any federal or state government agency. KeyBank and its affiliates do not provide tax or legal advice. Individuals should consult their personal tax advisor before making any tax-related investment decisions. This content is copyrighted by KeyCorp 2021.